I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. I walked in and they're like, oh, thank goodness you're here. And I turned to the left, I was wondering where he was, and there is this tiny one and a half pound puppy sitting in a crate all by himself, screaming at the top of his lungs. That was Melissa Shapiro, veterinarian and human to Piglet the deaf, blind, pink puppy. Melissa will discuss the breeding situation that led to Piglet's condition, the importance of spaying and neutering, and the challenges and joys of owning a special needs pet. Now let's get back to Melissa. So starting from the beginning, how did you become a vet? Well, I always wanted to be a vet from the time I was a very tiny little kid, so everything revolved around becoming a veterinarian. And so I studied really hard. I didn't do things other people did, so I could get A's in college. And after three years in undergrad at Purdue. And then from vet school, did you start your own practice immediately or did you work with others first? No, no. I, after, after I graduated, I did an internship at the Animal Medical Center here in New York. And then I went to Penn for two years for an internal medicine residency. Then I went to practice, and I worked in a couple of different practices, one in Springfield, Mass., and then one down in Stanford in Connecticut. From there, I took a couple of part-time jobs and started a house called practice, where I have stayed, and that was a really long time ago. How long have you been doing house call practice? 28 years. And we got connected through your pup. Piglet. Piglet is a very special pup. Can you tell us about him? Well, Piglet is a deaf-blind, double-dapple, dachshund chihuahua mix. Double-dapple means that two dapple-colored dogs were bred, either intentionally or non-intentionally. And what is dapple-colored? Dapple is that marbly color. It's also called merle in the herding dogs. It's called Harlequin and Great Danes and a bunch of other breeds also have that color pattern, the merling. So in Dachshunds, it's called Dapple, and he is at least a big part Dachshund, and then Chihuahua is the other part, which also has that color pattern. So both his mother and father were Dapple. When you breed two Dapple or merle color dogs, there's a 25% chance, if you do the chi-square, that you'll have a big D, big D, or big M, big M. And that is a dominant trait that is linked to the white color, and that is then linked to ear and eye congenital defects. Um, So he came from a hoarding situation where there were dogs just breeding rampantly, and just out of the luck of the draw, there were a lot of dapple-colored dogs bred, and uh, his litter had three out of four, because it's 25% chance for each puppy to be double dapple or double merle. And so three out of four were white, like him, and the other two are deaf and have vision impairment, but not as bad as him. So they can see, but not very, one of them, his sister can't see very well, and the brother can see, but he's got immature cataracts, so he may become blind at some point. And then there was one normal. So anyway, this happened in Georgia, and I had been in touch with the director of the rescue who rescued these dogs out of this hoarding situation, which there were 37 dogs in an apartment in Georgia. They had three dogs that they didn't spay and neuter, and then they became 37 dogs. So they started giving them away on Craigslist, 
and the rescue came in at some point and took a lot of them. I don't I don't know the exact number, maybe like 17 or something something in that order. And they placed them through the rescue. So I am in touch with the director of the rescue because I adopted a double moral Aussie from her, had seven years earlier. I help her out with dogs that she brings up from Georgia up to Connecticut to for adoption events. So if there's a problem with one of those dogs, I will help her out You know, if there's medical problems that need to be attended to. So Piglet, she asked me if I knew someone that would be a good match for this little fella who was blind. She wasn't sure that he was deaf at that point because he was so tiny. And I said no, because I didn't know someone who would be a good match for him. But then after you know a minute of writing this email back to her, I thought, well, we should foster him. So I said to her, I'll check with my husband, Warren, and he said, he didn't have a choice. <laughs> so uh, a few days later, Pigliti came, and he was named Bart then. And he came from Georgia up to Connecticut to an adoption event. I got all prepared. My other dogs were all fine with other dogs coming in, not delighted. But I went to pick him up. I had blankets and crates and all this. And I walked in, and they're like, oh, thank goodness you're here. And I turned to the left. I was wondering where he was. And there is this tiny one-and-a-half-pound puppy sitting in a crate all by himself screaming at the top of his lungs <laughs> and he was screaming really loud and disrupting the whole adoption event so I went over and I wrapped him in a blanket and he continued to scream so I grabbed the envelope and I ran to my car and I sat in the car with him and he finally chilled out <laughs> did then, they warn you about that before you went no, to they, she, him she said he wasn't doing well <laughs> I didn't know what that meant so no, I had no idea. He's a one and a half pound serious disruptor of the whole household. I, I can't even believe what he did to us, as tiny as he was. So, How many other dogs do you have? There are six other dogs, and they're ranging from old, Susie's about 13 now, down to Zoe, who's three. Let's see, two six-year-olds, two seven, eight-year-olds, and then him as he's seven so they weren't happy when he showed up yeah what was that process like assimilating him with the screaming and the special needs the screaming was really the screaming was a really serious problem and we really were fostering him like there was no plan to keep him because we have six dogs and I have a job and you know my husband works too and our kids are going off to college and so he actually screamed the whole way from picking him up at the adoption event down to Norwalk where I picked up some supplies and then back to our house. So he screamed and he screamed and he screamed. But when I brought him home, I actually have videos that I don't even remember. I put him on the floor and he just waddled around and said hello to everybody. And they were all, you know, kind of like, what is this? Because it was so tiny. And a couple of them actually were willing to have contact with him, but the other ones just stayed away. So that went on for about a month. They just stayed away. And then Susie and Zoe really did play with him. And then Evie joined them, and then Annie came in. And the two bigger ones were like, you know, we don't, we don't want to do this yet. Because <laughs> he was so teeny. But the screaming went on and on, and it was really disruptive to the point that I was really desperate to get him out of the house. Within two to three weeks, I was, like, really panicking. You know, and the other dogs were fine. I mean, they played with him, and Susie laid with him. You know, they were really, really nice to him, especially nice to him. Zoe had to figure out that he couldn't hear. She, she does a lot of barking to get their attention, and then she finally realized he's not going to respond to her that way. But I, I had to go to work, and I had to take him in the car with me. 
because I do house calls and every time I put him in a crate, he would start screaming. So we had no place to really leave him. And even in our house, we have a tiny little kitchen with gates on either side, but he would just run around and then he'd be fine. And then all of a sudden he'd start screaming. And it was really just disruptive. That's the only way to describe it. So anyway, I started taking him with me in the car and I would drive holding a chewy stick for him on the seat next to me so he would chew it and then eventually he can't be screaming (laughs) right and you know he couldn't hold it himself because he was too little and so then he finally just kind of started to calm down I mean it just I think he became more secure confident in what he was doing more aware of where he was and what what was you know where he was going and he had friends at the animal hospital right from the beginning so I would bring him in and then he knew you know that he was where he was going and one of the things I, I always wondered was was he actually going to get out of my car and walk into the building himself being blind and and deaf which doesn't really affect that and sure enough you know within short time I had all his vaccines and I was like had to put him on the ground and he learned the sidewalk to go right in the door and he walks in the door like he owns the place goes over to where the cookies are and he knows certain people that he really likes especially and if he sees someone or comes up to someone that he doesn't know, then he'll just walk away. So he might come over to you and say, ah, you're not who I'm looking for. And then he'll <laughs> go over to somebody else and say, yep, that's the one. And then he goes crazy because he's really happy to see them. So he found his people and he learned to be part of the routine. And, and any dog that you adopt, that even whether it's blind and deaf or completely fine and healthy, they all take time to, to adjust and settle into their new house. So it took him a little longer, and his and his reaction was much more extreme, you know. But now I go into the car, and he can't wait to get in the crate. I pop a couple little treats in there, and he goes to sleep in the car as we're driving. He's fine. When did you decide to go from foster to adopting? It was about two months. There were a lot of applications to adopt him. I had listed him on a dachshund rescue site, which was heavily populated and people were very interested but a lot of people knew that this was not a dog that they could really manage and there were some very nice people that did apply that probably could deal with it but there was one thing or another that we just sort of felt like eh, you know there's a lot of people that have blind and deaf dogs as you know and he was settling in which was making me more nervous but more than that I knew what I knew what he was like and he wasn't a dog that could just walk into any house he really couldn't be in a house with little kids. He couldn't be in a house that had, you know, decking outside that was multi-layered, no rails, nothing. You know, this dog is really tiny. He has learned to go up the stairs, but he can't go down the stairs. I haven't taught him because I don't want to have him doing it. And then when he, when he goes up, sometimes he'll trip or he'll veer off to the side. And I don't want him doing that going down and ending up on splat on the bottom. You know, so there were a lot of different requirements that we made for him to have in a new home. And it just didn't happen. I don't know. <laughs> people that have applied that applied would, would criticize me and say, you, you didn't want to give him away anyways. But, <laughs> but I did, you know, and I, I was ready to bring him places. But in the end, one application came in that was ludicrous to me that the rescue had um, Approved, and I just said to Warren, you know what, I'm done. Because I'm so stressed out thinking about where he's going to go now after he was with us for so long that I'm all for fostering. And I have, I have fostered other dogs and birds that have left, <laughs> even though I liked them. I, I'm very disciplined that way. And the dogs we have, by the way, were not fosters. We got those dogs. 
it's as crazy as keeping foster dogs, but <laughs> we did go out and get those dogs. But so we kept them, and that was it. I told Gloria down in Georgia, just take them off Pet Finder, but don't say anything to anybody because we're not telling. <laughs> so we went another month or two before we said, okay, he's adopted, and you know, that was it. And now you're working to educate. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Well, when I agreed to adopt him and keep him, I really felt very strongly that I should not keep another dog just to have another dog. So since he offers the opportunity to educate and advocate for animals like him and others, I really was felt very strongly that that is, was going to be his purpose. So we love him, of course. You know, he's our dog. But he should have a much more meaningful life than just sitting on our laps, which he would do all day. So I took and, uh, you know, we made him his Facebook page and then saw all those nice places to send letters to have videos made of him. So he got a dodo video in the middle of the summer last year, and that really got him some nice numbers on his page that started to increase his exposure. And I was posting all my little rants about double daffles and adopting versus shopping and spay and neuter, adopting special needs dogs in particular. And a, a teacher from uh, Massachusetts sent me a note or, or made a comment and said that her kids would really love his video. She can't wait to show them to them when school starts, which was starting soon. And I said, oh, you know, I'll make her a video because I thought it'd be really fun for them to have a personalized video of Piglet. But then I really did realize that I don't know how to make a video and splice and cut it up. So all I could do was put all my dogs together and say hi to the third graders at Jackson Elementary School from Piglet and his crew. And that had to go along with something else. So I sat down and I made a PowerPoint presentation for the kids, which went from thinking, you know, it would be like 10 minutes to about 22 minutes taped um, from PowerPoint onto, uh, made it onto video so it could go on YouTube so they could access it. And so that went really well. And I put on his whole story and it's called the, the story of Piglet, the deafblind pink puppy. So that story shows him learning to go up the stairs and then him flying up the stairs. And him, you know, I think I may even have the screaming in the crate video to him being in a crate, all the different things that he's done, his sitting and his staying, the training videos and the mapping videos and walking down the street. And, and it has a story about how he might have felt my imposing my, you know, what I think he felt like when, I, when we got him versus later on. So I put it all on, on this uh, PowerPoint, made the YouTube video, put it onto YouTube, and she used it. And the kids fell madly in love with Piglet. So I, I was encouraging other teachers and other people to use the video. And I, I think it has, I don't know how many views it has. It has more than one view. <laughs> and um, so I know people have used it and I, kids really enjoy it. But the, the third graders up in Massachusetts really enjoyed it. And so they fell in love with him. And they there's a, a an approach to learning now in, in schools for the kids that is called a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So a growth mindset, you, you use what you have, not what you don't have, and you have a positive attitude towards learning so that even if you're having trouble and you're frustrated, you continue to try and get to the level that you can, whatever that is. So, um, and it's about overcoming challenges and with, with a positive attitude. So Piglet fits that model as a, as a model for that. And, and so the kids adopted him as their growth mindset mascot, and they 
corresponded with me all year. And we, I sent them piglet magnets, and they sent him Valentine cards and Christmas cards and presents. And then we talked about having um, a surprise visit for them, which we did in June. And it was really quite a day. <laughs> it was two and a half hours to get there. And we took uh, three other dogs with us, with him, Susie, who loves kids, Evie, who loves kids, and Zoe, who I can't leave home. And apparently she does really well in this situation as well because she did the three of them just moseyed around with, with the kids. And then we brought Piglet in a stroller and it was a surprise. So when we walked in, they were all sitting facing the smart board away from us. They were waiting to FaceTime and the teacher turned around you know, and said, look who's here. And they were just <laughs> went crazy. So what are special things that uh, you have to do because Piglet is blind and deaf? Well, obviously he, he can't see where there are stairs. He can't see the road. So we have a fenced yard, which he can be in, but we also try to keep things clear for him in the area that he's running around because if there's a chair there, he may run into it. Somehow he knows the yard and he knows where the bushes are before the steps and or to the side of the steps and he'll he makes the same little turns to get to the stairs every time he goes to the stairs. So so fenced in yard, outside he wears his little harness and a leash. And so if we're walking on the grass and we're gonna step down off the curb, I kind of give him a little signal that he's gonna hit the curb soon. And he knows and I just sort of lift him down. Because if he just does it on his own, he'll stand there. Like he'll get to the edge and, and he'll be going like this and, and it could be 10 feet down or three inches down and he doesn't know where it is. So we're, we keep him on the leash and harness outside. And even when he's outside, you have to be really careful because he'll start running around and there's Belgian blocks on the side of a driveway and he will be walking and just or running and smack into them. So I'm very careful and I watch him. He's, he is smacked into things that are a foot from me because I don't realize that he's gonna head that way. In the house, we keep the doors closed and there's gates up so he doesn't end up going down the stairs. And he also, like any other dog, he will chew cords and he'll chew things he shouldn't because he's well, he was a puppy and he's still <laughs> kind of puppy-ish. But really, once you start doing it, then it just becomes second nature. I just know where he's gonna be. You know, I can't have him in this little stroller with the top off unless he's hooked in. And if he's hooked in, I'm worried he's gonna get tangled. So I just make sure it's closed, you know, that sort of thing. And you have the blanket on top of it. What's the significance of the blanket? Oh, the blanket's on top because he is pink. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's very pink and he doesn't have a lot of hair on his face. So I'm worried he's gonna get sunburned. There's scant fur on his, on his ears and on his nose. So I, rather than putting sunscreen on him every time we go out, I just cover it and then he's fine, you know? Yeah, that's the only significance <laughs> of it. Protect from the sun, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. I love that it's pink too, the yeah, blanket. Well, everything's gotta be pink. It's a pink <laughs> theme. Are there any other special things that you need to do with feeding, for example? Well, we do special things because he, requires that he demands that mm -hmm. so you know one of the things that is really important with a dog like this and I, I think a lot of special needs kids and dogs is that they like a routine most dogs like a routine but there certainly is some OCD kind of you know tendencies in, in disabled animals I think at least the ones that I've met where they really do want to have things uh, predictable so that they are more comfortable in their environment and they know what their day is going to be so 
it's not that everything has to be exactly 801, but he wants to go out in the morning. He knows he's coming in. He has his routine of him eating. He, you know, everybody eats. He sits and he waits. He goes in a little crate because he otherwise would be bothering the other dog that's in the, the little area with him. So he goes in there and then in order to protect him and Zoe from each other when they're eating, he would want to come out, he'd start barking to come out of the crate. And I, I didn't want to reward him barking in the crate, but I do let him out of the crate. And he comes out and I would just pick him up to um, give him some treats off the counter. So in order to get him out of the crate, initially when I would open the door, he actually wouldn't know the door opened. So he would sit in the crate and wait. <laughs> it was horrible to see because you'd think he would know the door opened. And so I would give him a little swipe under his chin, which is come. And when he does come, most of the time he comes and he sits. So he started coming out of the crate and sitting. Then I pick him up. So he does that. And then when he goes into the crate, you know, he's also sitting and I tap him and he goes, he goes into the crate. So he has his routines that way. But he's also very demanding with the rest of the schedules. He gets a pill and then he goes out. I have birds that I cut up vegetables and other foods for in the morning and he knows he's going to get a little piece of egg and he's going to get his lettuce and he's going to get almonds and he's going to get all these things. So if we don't do it, he starts running around barking and everyone in the house is saying, get him to stop barking. And I'm like, oh, well, no, he just wants his pill now. And they're like, no, <laughs> okay, we all knew that, you know. <laughs> so I give him his pill and then he moves on to the next thing. And then when all of the morning routine is done, he goes in his little cocoon bed or lays on top and he goes to sleep. <laughs> That's it. So we have to do this routine with him because it makes him happy. <laughs> I think it gives him extra things to do and his input is, is limited. So I think it's nice to have some variation and other things that he can count on to give him himself stimulation, you know. Does he leave the house much? I know he's here with us now and yes, he visits the school. How is that with managing, teaching him the new new places and new experiences and mixing up the routine a bit when he's not at home? Oh, he he has his routine wherever he goes. So he eats, he had his lunch already before we got here because this does lunch. But he is very adaptable, surprisingly. So he's actually very easy to take along once you know what you have to do. So I have to schlep all this stuff around with me because he is wearing a shirt and it gets dirty you know then I have another shirt for him if he needs a shirt because it's air conditioned and it's cold but he he goes to people's houses he goes to the animal hospital he's fine he learns where he is very very quickly so we visit our friends in New Hampshire he went into their house and he just immediately walked around he knew where everything was right away because he's not frenetic he's not racing around he walks around and he's really really careful where he goes so he he might bump into something but he's not smacking into something unless he forgets mm -hmm. but so he learned our friend's house and then he learned their street the first time we went there i took the dogs up the street and back he knew where the driveway was after two times up and down the street and he i let him lead us so he knew to go down the driveway back to their house which I was very impressed. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, he's gone to New York. He goes to, you know, if he if he gets overstimulated, then we just hold him and he, he just go to sleep in our arms. How did you teach him tricks? What was that process like? So training a blind and deaf dog is actually very easy to do tricks because he's like any other dog. I, I did a lot of dog training with my other dogs with clickers. And so if you have a deaf dog, you can do signs to the deaf dog and they tend to be very they like to interact so they're they're looking and they're attentive 
and a blind dog you can speak to. But a deaf and blind dog, it's all tactile and touch. So um, I just started teaching him sit, which is the first thing I would teach any dog, and holding a piece of food above his nose so he goes into the sit position and doing that a couple of times, giving him the treat, and then to start tapping him. Just I do it over his tail, just on his back end there. And uh, it probably took the same five minutes it would take to teach any dog sit. And then from there, we just moved it on to other things with food. He's more food responsive than any dog I know. So he's really easy to teach anything. The little repertoire he has is just the beginning. I'm sure he can learn all sorts of things if I would spend the time. But he knows how to sit and stay and down. He comes, even though he has to sort of be set in its straight direction wherever I want him to be because he doesn't know exactly where he's coming to. <laughs> but he learned to sit with the other dogs, and so they all sit in a row, and I call them all, and he knows to stay, because I tap him on the nose, and that's stay. So I can call each one of them separately or all together, and he'll be sitting there waiting. So then I get him by swiping him under his chin, and he comes, and he knows he's going to get a cookie with everyone else. I can have him on furniture because he is fine to sit with everyone else, and he knows stay. So, and then I apply his um, tricks to when I have him out and about. So if I take him to the bank, I can get him to sit and stay, or if I'm talking to somebody wherever I am and he's carrying on, I'll just have him do sit and stay. So it's useful, just like with any other dog, and it's very easy to teach him. Does he play with the other dogs? He, or does he prefer to keep to himself? N- no, he's very social. So he has a different relationship with each of the other dogs, and he wants to play with one at one time and play with another one at another time. So he is very, very rough. He's a wild dog and he barks a lot and he yells at the other dogs and he jumps at them and he bites them and he, he, I call it puppy ping pong because in the morning we have this little tiny room, probably like the size of this room, and they all play in there and he literally bounces between them and they jump on him and they jump at him and then he he does a little circle and he swings around and goes in the next dog and then we have this little tunnel and he'll go in the tunnel and go crazy so he's, he's really cute he does cute things because he's little so you mentioned uh, he takes a pill what what is the pill well he actually is hypothyroid at least he was these these dogs the double merle dogs technically should be healthy other than their congenital defects but they do tend to have a lot of problems, probably because they're poorly bred, because people are breeding dogs they shouldn't be breeding, and that's how they came into the world to start with. Why is pigment tied to hearing? It seems so random. I don't know. Yeah. So bizarre. Oh, sorry. So Actually, it, it does have to do with melanin in, in the development of the ear, but in mapping in the house and other places, the way that the blind dogs use the floor is very important. And so different textures of the floor are helpful in them mapping. So maybe there's a carpet in in this area of the room and then they come onto the wood floor so they know where they are. They know there's gonna be a gate over here, like for him. And then people will put a, a mat down where the food dishes are so when the dog is walking towards the food, they come to the mat and then they know the dish is gonna be right there. And Outside, I I didn't say that he knows also where the steps are because there's a slate at the bottom. And when he comes to the slate, he knows then he's at the bottom of the stairs and he uses his nose to bump the bottom step 
and then he goes up. He And it's all very quick and very smooth the way he does it. So you wouldn't notice unless you look at the video a few times. But if you just look at it once, you may not even see him doing it. So he goes up, touches it, and then he goes up and he knows how many stairs there are. Every now and then, he goes to make an extra leap up, <laughs> up one stair. So because when he gets accused of not being blind, then I... I think, all right, well, if he could see, then he wouldn't be taking an extra step once he's at the top, you know. What do you, what do you mean he gets accused of not being blind? Oh, because he, he does things so well. And I show the videos of him People you know, running up it. the stairs. People think he can see because it's obvious that he, he's having no trouble. He runs through a yard. But what they <laughs> haven't seen are the bloopers where he's hitting the side, tripping back, and, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Touching on the importance of good breeding and avoiding bad breeding, are breeders intentionally breeding these dogs together? Yes, some. The good ones aren't. But they're, they're, when you breed Merle to Merle, you get really splashy colors in the middle because while you're getting uh, 25% of the, the double Merle, you're also getting 50% that are really splashy Merle. So what are the other 25 then? Then those so are 25 solid. don't have, 25 are solid, and 25 Because the little m, little m is solid. Got it. Okay. So breeders will do it knowing that they're going to get these white dogs, and a lot of them are discarded, just dumped. A lot of them end up at the vet hospitals being euthanized because uh, they don't want to place them. They don't want those dogs even having their name on them as part of their line, and a lot of them end up in rescues. So he ended up, he, he was not bred by a breeder, obviously, but I have friends across the country that have these rescues for special needs dogs and they end up with lots and lots of these. And some of them even have breeders that will call them and say, I have these dogs, will you take them? And it's sort of a double-edged sword. When they take them, they're encouraging them to continue because they have a place to dump those dogs. But not taking them, they're going to dump the dogs. So they, do they take report them. them after they take them. It's not illegal, so they can do whatever they want. It's really trying to advocate for the dogs and trying to convince the breeders not to do it. And there are advocating skills that are known. You know, there are ways to try to bring people around by educating them and and convincing them this is really a bad idea. But when people are paying them. For the dogs that they're breeding, then they continue to breed. So the other side of the coin is to convince people not to buy from those breeders. But on, on the, all the Facebook pages and the Instagram pages, there are people that say, you know, I rescued the dog. I bought it from the breeder. And I'm like, well, no, you, you did take the dog, but you're, you just made it so they're going to do it again. How can people distinguish good breeders and bad breeders? Because we need good breeding for healthy dogs. So yeah, how, do I mean, we draw, how do we... Word of mouth is certainly one good way. Talking to a veterinarian is a good way, although neither of those are foolproof. You know, online breeders, there are just, there are hints that you have to kind of take seriously. And I think, you know, even in my practice, I have people asking me, you know, I want to get a rescue. They start off with, they want to get a rescue. And I say, fine, I'm going to help you to go, you know, this rescue, that rescue, what are you looking for? And I, and then they say, I'm getting, I'm not finding what I want, say. So they're going to go buy a dog from a breeder. And then they go online and they, they find these online middle of the country, South Pennsylvania breeders that have really nice websites. And you can't distinguish those websites. So you've got to go then to look at, well, there's a lot of regulations for kennels and those 
they're supposed to be online and you should have access to reports of violations for kennels but that's a lot of work for people to find so i can go and look on a website and see that you know dogs aren't health tested there's nothing specific about the health testing that they're claiming to do and i just had a client they're going to buy a sheep a doodle from a, an online breeder who i mean they have a farm and they call their dogs breeding stock. They say they health test, but they don't say what the testing is. And it just, it wouldn't be a place I would buy a dog from because it just doesn't sound like a really good breeder. But if you can go visit the dogs, you can see the parents, and you get a feel for somebody who's testing and doing everything that the breed requires that make the breed better instead of worse, then those are the people you have to buy the dogs from, you know. And with the Merle dogs, can that be done properly or is that always a red flag? These specialty colors and... Merle is a color of dog. So it's it can just, be done naturally and it can well, be done Well, when you right. breed, if you breed a Merle to a solid, then you don't get a double Merle. Because <laughs> the only way you can get a double Merle is by breeding Merle to Merle. But you can get Merle puppies and then that. Yeah, you can get Merle puppies. Merle is a big M, little M. And if you breed a big M, little M to a little M, little M, you're going to get half of the dogs are going to be Merle. And what is big and little M? The Merle is a dominant trait. So it, when you look at genetics, that's a big M. And the little M is a solid. So the lit, so a solid so is going to be little M, little M. And the big M, big M is going to be a double Merle. But big M, little M is a, is a dab, uh, <laughs> Merle. Okay. So... <laughs> So there, I, I've read yeah. things online about uh, people being against blue Frenchies or special colors. Is that something people should be against or not necessarily? I don't, you know, I don't know the specifics of the Frenchies, but whenever, whenever the, the breed, some certain breeders are doing this and it just isn't in the best interest of the dogs themselves health-wise, you're introducing risk, then it's a bad idea. You know, so in these, for you know, have a Merle dog. Just don't make double Merle dogs, you know? And so I think that that that's what people have to be aware of, you know? But not all double Merles are blind and deaf. So, you know, there's, there's a whole spectrum of dogs. I mean, I think people have to rely on veterinarians, rely on their friends who, who can recommend good breeders for real. There are pediatricians that I've been to that I would, wouldn't recommend my kids go to but or other people's kids go to, but other people love them. And the same with the kindergarten teacher, you know, everyone loved the kindergarten teacher because for me. So I, you know, and really to qualify, I know veterinarians I wouldn't bring my dogs to and other people love those veterinarians. So how do you really tell? You have to use your your judgment and you have to you have to be honest with yourself and ethical and not be spontaneous when you're getting a dog because, you know, it's easy to go into a pet store and it's easy to get one of those online dogs because those people want to sell you a dog. And really, I've been, I've been denied dogs from breeders and rescues. It just happens. You can't take it personally. You just go find another dog. There's, there's only 10,000 a day that are killed that you might be able to take home, you know? So. And then the, the double Merle dogs that are not blind and deaf, they still have no color, right? They're white or mostly white. Okay, and it's so not some pink, of them so aren't all. Some pigment. Yeah, some of them aren't all white, but. It's really variable. I mean, there's no way to predict it beforehand. And when they come out, that's just what you get. 
And what about breeding different kinds of dogs together and creating these new Oh, you want to know my breeds? opinion? <laughs> yes, would love your opinion. <laughs> well, I think it's great to bake mutts because you're certainly taking gene pools that aren't related and putting them together. But it can be done by anybody. There's no regulating it. But it's just a gimmick. It it gives people that are living in the middle of Missouri a way to sell animals. And they, there's no regulation for it. They can be keeping them outside in a tent, you know, or with no, no shelter. And I, I mean, I'm against it because I think there are more than enough mutts. I have six dogs, and if you look at my dogs, no, they don't have the exact dimensions of a cavachon that was bred by a cavachon breeder or a labradoodle that was bred by a labradoodle breeder, but they're all really good looking dogs and they don't shed. And they came from kill shelters, so I don't see a reason to do it at all. But if you're going to do it, then if you have dogs like, you know, golden doodles, test the golden and test the doodle before you start putting them together because both of them have their own set of hereditary issues that need to be removed. What's the point of breeding them, even if you're not breeding them to another of the same, you know? I had a client that called me that had a little golden doodle, a mini golden doodle, and the dog was in terminal renal failure at the age of four and a half months. And the dog was adorable, little, cute, fluffy dog. And the breeder said, oh, you know, get a, an autopsy and do this. This was on a Sunday. So I took the dog and I we had to put him to sleep because he was dying. And the second that he was gone, the breeder skipped out after telling them that she would pay for everything and the, the you know the biopsies so that she would know what was wrong with the dog and she sounded like she was really conscientious and in the meantime she didn't want to pay for any of that and she didn't want to do anything about it and that dog had a congenital problem in in his kidneys and she blamed the vet for giving a rabies shot before 6 months so you know there this is this is an unethical unprofessional person that you should not be buying dogs from. And how could they know? Well, I went on the website and I looked at the at what she was breeding and I, you know, of course you're going to have problems with this person and of course she's not going to back up her dog's health because she doesn't know anything about it. She's just there breeding her two dogs together to make some money because she needs money. And so that is my concern with doing this, you know. Who's doing it? You know, I, I feel like uh, I don't know how to regulate it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I don't know where you begin, but there are too many dogs. We don't need more mutts. Tied to that, can you talk about what should be done to prevent the situation uh, that Piglet came from? Well, for Piglet, you know, Piglet's mission is to um, encourage spay and neuter of dogs and cats. And there's all sorts of controversy about that now, too, but certainly... The vast number of dogs coming out of shelters, those should be neutered. They're coming there because someone didn't. And then, you know, people that are keeping pets, I still recommend spaying and neutering dogs because I've been working long enough to, I don't see big health problems related to having done it that are reported by other people. You can find anything you want when you go on a computer and look up on Google, you know? There are schools of thought that it should not be done and there are ways to prevent unwanted breeding. 
So if someone has a male dog and they don't want to neuter him, don't neuter him, but don't let him out to make puppies with the neighbor's female dog that they didn't spay. And what is the controversy around that? Why are people not doing it? There, There's controversy around hip dysplasia and other developmental um, problems in dogs that they think hormones will support. And so, you know, maybe it's true. I mean, time's going to tell because there's going to be more research done. I think there'll be schools of thought about it going forward also because we can't afford to have dogs breeding unnecessarily. And the only way to keep them from doing that is to spay and neuter them in most households because people aren't, especially down in the South, you know, up here, people, you know, people in New York City, their dogs aren't running loose to have babies, although they do go into parks. <laughs> so I guess anything's possible. But And just so we have everything together in one piece, so that's his first mission. Can you just touch on his second mission? So the first part of his mission is to encourage spay and neuter in, in dogs and cats, because we include cats from that too. Um, um, and then the second part of his mission is to educate about double dapple or double moral breeding and um, discourage it teach about the severe consequences of double dapple breeding. And then the third part is to um, uh, inspire and motivate people to adopt special needs dogs and other pets. Um, and then we added a fourth, uh, well there are four, but we added one before the, f- the last one, and that is to fundraise to um, support special needs dog rescues, which we have done. And so far we've raised about $10,000 this year with selling t-shirts, these little phone case wallets, and oh, we have magnets and wristbands and flashlights, piglet merch. (laughs) And then the fifth part, which used to be the fourth part, is to um, put smiles on faces all around the world, which piglet does. And I have pictures to show it. (laughs) (laughs) Can you um, touch on the third one a little bit more? Oh, adopting special needs dogs uh, and, and other pets. So there are a lot of special needs dogs and other pets available for adoption. In the double Merle, dogs are everywhere across the country and across the world, but they, they are overlooked. But there is sort of a, an underground of people that do attend to these dogs. And you know, there are the wheelchair dogs and the blind dogs, the deaf dogs, there are dogs, all the senior dogs certainly are special needs and they end up disabled also. So. Adopting a normal dog, like people like me, at this point, I feel guilty if I take in a, a normal animal because I am capable and, and willing to put in the little bit of extra it takes to take care of the special needs dog. But I think that the rewards are just exponential. I mean, I can't even, I can't, I look at a dog like him, like Piglety, and, and I see him with my group of dogs, that he's integrated and he's part of the whole scene. And I, I, it makes me feel really, really good. I mean, forget about Facebook and all the fun pictures and everyone saying how great everybody is with Piglet. But I, I personally take a lot of enjoyment and um, pride in, in taking care of a dog like this. And I have my dog, Jeannie, who also takes a huge amount of work extra because she is very special needs even though she can see and she can hear she has a lot of problems related to that I think if if once people sort of take the leap and you start taking in dogs like this or other pets I have a blind bird and I have had other 
animals that are very disabled. I had my vet school dog was diabetic. I lived with a blind dog growing up and our border collie went deaf when she was six, our, our family dog. So this is not the first disabled dog that I've had. And I'm not really so emotional to think that they are more appreciative than other dogs, just as you know, some rescued dogs are and some aren't. <laughs> but it is really, really a lot of fun to have that little extra thing to think about and work with. And then when they respond and they feel good and you see them gaining confidence, it's, it's really, really fun. <laughs> it's addictive. What about future plans? We really, really want to have a, uh, publish a book about Piglet, the story of Piglet, the deafblind pink puppy. And I would really like to also expand his reach into classrooms. And I don't really know exactly how we'll do it, but I'd like to make the, the YouTube video into more of a packet that comes with maybe more instructions for teachers that might motivate them to use it. And um, I would also love for him to continue to fundraise so we can really make a difference into, in the special needs dog rescues because I've sent them $1,500 or I send them $2,500 or $200 and they really need the money. And it's if, I, if he can be used to raise money so that I don't have a GoFundMe page where you just hand over money if, if we can sell a t-shirt and make ten dollars on a t-shirt and we sell a hundred or two hundred then we have money to give and people have something that they take that they also enjoy because everyone loves piglet and uh it's it's amazing what the people that love him they want his t-shirt because they want to go tell everybody about him and they're teaching and i've really one of the things i've i've really enjoyed the most about having the facebook page and the instagram now is that People send me notes and tell me how much he, he's made a difference in their lives. They wake up and they're having a bad day and then they see his picture and I have no idea how this happens, but that's what they say. But I've also gotten many notes from people telling me that they've adopted dogs that were special needs, you know, and that someone adopted a blind dog. Do I have advice for them? And I'm more than happy to give them the whole spiel about how to get started. and. That's rewarding because those are dogs that those people weren't going to adopt until they met him. That was Melissa Shapiro, veterinarian and human to Piglet, the deaf, blind, pink puppy. To keep up with Piglet, follow Pink Piglet Puppy on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us an awesome review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. To listen to past episodes, visit petinsider.com slash podcast. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon!